0: When you enrich the lives of your employees through purpose-powered leadership, they'll grow your business for you. Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where you'll discover how to champion a culture of courage and love. Stop dealing with symptoms and get to the root of the problems in your business. This is the Higher Purpose Podcast with your host, Kevin Monroe.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. It's always a delight to connect here, and I'm incredibly grateful that you've dropped in again. In today's episode, we wrap up a series of conversations with leaders whom I consider purpose-powered leaders. These are leaders who are in business for a higher purpose. Yes, profit is important, but for these leaders and for you, the bottom line has more than one dimension to it. If you've missed any of these conversations, you can listen in via your favorite podcast player, or we've curated all of them at a special link to make it easy to find, PurposeProfiles.com. There are a dozen conversations you can pick up there. Hey, I'm excited about the guest joining me for today's conversation. It's Bruce Balangi. He's the CEO and founder of PariVeda Solutions, Bruce has over 30 years of experience in operations and technology, working with business and IT organizations to be more effective through improvements to their strategies, organizations, people, processes, and technology. As you'll discover, Bruce is a deep thinker, a beautiful mind, and a wonderful soul. About 16 years ago, Bruce was thinking of taking all of his experiences and channeling it into an academic pursuit. Instead, you'll hear how his journey led him to found Pariveta Solutions instead. So if you're a regular to the show, you know I believe it's a relational world, and I'd like to give shout-outs to the people who help connect the dots and facilitate introductions for me. So there are two people involved in my meeting Bruce. The first is Cindy Lake, who joined me on episode 42, and if you haven't heard that one, you really need to hear it. And then I was at a meeting with Cindy where Cindy introduced me to Lori Dipri. Lori is the Chief People Officer at Pariveda. and as we sat around and talked during some of the sessions, I realized how much I wanted to get to know this organization and she actually introduced me to Bruce. So here we go. So Bruce, thanks for joining us today.
2: Hey, well welcome. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: What's what's something you'd like us to know about you that that might not always fit into the formal introductions you get?
2: That's a great question. I'd say I feel like I'm a more complex than meets the eye, and there's different aspects of that. But I am a, one thing that doesn't necessarily come up in business is I'm very seriously into into nature. I think like I'm wearing today. I'm wearing one of the organizations I'm, I'm part of, the Master Naturalist Program, which does a lot of education outreach. But I think about nature and how the universe works as being, it's, it's a great descriptor of everything, but it also informs us as to how we should conduct ourselves, how we should, how we should build businesses. How do you organize an organization? How do you define a process? How, do, how should we think about people? And how do people work together? And to that extent, how do we build technology? So, so for me, that's part of it. And that doesn't necessarily come out. In the-
1: yeah. Well, I had discovered that about you and found it quite interesting. Uh, as you said, you're involved. You spend a lot of time involved uh, with multiple organizations. That's correct. Um, preserving and, and exploring nature. Well, now back to business. At this point in time, how do you describe your personal purpose, Bruce?
2: So, I, I think about it multiple, at multiple levels, and some I feel like I'm more satisfied hmm. than others. And it's certainly, and, and so, but I, I think there's multiple levels. So, I'll say one thing that was very important for me early on, pre, pre this company, pre beta was coming from a history of a long history of multiple generations of failed businesses and relative poverty sometimes, sometimes impoverished
3: Hmm.
2: history. And some, some degree of poverty, even in, you know, certainly not, well, not below the poverty line, but very, very difficult situations like many Americans face today. I grew up in that world. And so one thing that was very important for me was, Hey, I, I want to, switch that i want to turn that around and i want to to the best extent possible establish for the future for my children and my wife's children and future generations that that is highly improbable of happening Hmm. that was something that was there and and that's kind of i wouldn't say that was that was beyond you know it wasn't just a selfish thing but they had that element to it and that's i think about that as hey that's a real boomer that's a real boomer thing because we saw what happened to our parents, right? <laughs> That's kind of how we approach work. There there was also though from very early on, I grew up helping people mm-hmm. in a variety of, of ways, you know, helping my grandmother with making you know, making food. She was big on she was big on making food, and one of the ways that she helped us as grandchildren build our self esteem was to participate her with her in the food making process, there was never any doubt about who was in charge or who, who was doing. Always <laughs> Hey, here's a little. Here's a little test. You know, chop this carrot up. Watch this pie. You know, for uh, a little. You know, those sorts of things. Watch the cornbread on top of the uh, <laughs> of the, the stove and the and the frying pan. Little little ways of participating in, in building self esteem, and that's pretty. That's pretty. Uh, uh, it's addictive. Right? I mean, it's just a. And that may be appropriate word, but you know, it's a. Uh, it's just a—it's a, such a positive thing. It's a, there's a lot of positive feedback loops in there, and, and, and all of that. And then, and so in in broader life, one of the, when when needing a challenge of hey, someone needs help or some someone's not up to par, it it led me to very much well, you know, there's some people that do a push style like hey, shape uh, shape up or ship out. Right. On you, I tend to take the other person and says, well, you know, you don't have don't have the tools. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of giving people tools and I went, like, hey know, t- tools is not enough <laughs> right? you know? People need more they need more they need more than tools. They need an understand they need an understanding. And that's kind of led, you know, and that so that's kind of ultimately led to when I think about the purpose slash mission of Pari Beta, which is helping people achieve their their highest potential. That's our employees and our and our clients. And so it all kind of fits into that into that uh you, hmm. So that's probably the main thing. Now I do think about it, I have a post Pari Veda purpose that I work on, which is around which is around nature. And it's kind of like, wow, as humans, we we don't really integrate into nature as as well as as we might. I mean we are of nature, but we tend to just disrupt it as opposed to taking advantage of it. And if we took advantage of it and integrated with it, we would have greater economic value. We would have better mental and physical health. Mm. Um,
3: you know, it would help. It would help all the other creatures yeah.
2: on, on the planet as well. And so, for me, that's my kind of, I'd say, post post Veda uh, purpose. That I, you know, I think about more as right. I get to the point where you know, hey, someday biology, you know, you need to step away and let other people go forward with, with
1: pariveta. So. Okay. Well, Bruce, I love that that you are aware that for you purpose is multidimensional. I believe that's the case for all of us. And I think some people are are just, you know, they're they're kind of very aware or in tune with one facet and miss the other dimension. So um I, I appreciate that about you. Now Pariveda, what, what's your favorite way of introducing uh Pariveda and the work you do?
2: So my kind of little elevator pitch is to say when people say, "Well, what do you what do you do?" I, I most enjoy saying we help businesses solve complex, ambiguous problems, usually using technology. Okay, that's my that's kind of my pitch. I try to get, focus on the focus on the problem and the, the kind of the kind of problem. Complex problems. Um, complex problems have to be solved differently than simple problems or complicated problems.
1: And, and what was the journey, uh, the, the, the thumbnail version of the founding story of Pari Beta?
2: I mean, I guess there's, to some extent a whole lifetime in there, but in the, in the moment, right.
1: in the moment of... But you can design. go back a little bit. You can go back a little. Uh, I just, you, you uh-huh. know, we, we only have a 45-minute podcast, so I didn't want the...
2: Right, the whole... You know, Genial. <laughs> I'll just give you kind of, kind of the, you know, the, the beginning, the beginning, the beginning part of it again. The end, the end of the previous game. So the the, the previous game I had decided to kind of end. I had sold a company that I was a, a founding shareholder of, and was in my two years of indentured servitude, and that was approaching an end. <laughs> uh, without more detail, you know, it was. Sometimes it's Golden handcuffs. Sometimes it's a indentured servitude. This was a ditcher servitude, and I had made a decision to stay for the two years versus just leave, because I saw, hey, it's a really this is this is two thousand and one. I mean, the tech wreck is well underway, and, and I was like, I, I have an obligation to stay here and help people, mostly the people, mostly the people that we have sold like cattle. Into, mm-hmm. this other, into this other company, uh, but also the, the people of this other company, this bigger company that are suffering here too. And so, you know, hey Bruce, you'll learn a lot. It'll be a different ex- experience and you can help and you should, right? So so that was kind of my two-year thing and that definitely happened and I learned a tremendous amount of stuff. But as the two years was approaching its close, I was like, now it's time. Bruce can do what Bruce really wants to do, right? And so, you know, working is not a requirement for financial reasons. The reason to work is to serve great purpose. And so I thought, well, what would, what's the most fun for me? And the most fun for me is is teaching. And so I had concocted a plan and talked to talked to some professors. I identify a principal investigator, a PI, and I was I was planning to go get a doctorate in, in management information systems. I'm a finance eco, you know, undergraduate and, and masters. So, CompSci would be a bridge too far, but I figured MIS, hey, I, you know, I could do that. And I was, <laughs> uh, was going to have fun and help young people really understand information systems and business, you know, how to solve complex and bigger problems, usually with use of technology. That's what I was going to go do for the rest of my life. And I, and I started sharing that with the, with the people at the firm I, I was at at the time. People that had come with me and the merger, and people, the even more people that I met, you know, mm-hmm. the, of the two years, and said, "Hey, I'm not leaving right away, but next fall, this is what I'm planning to do. I'm going to join a doctor program. Just want you to know." And they said, "Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> we want you to start a company so that we can come work with you." And I said, oh, "That's totally awesome." You know, I had excluded those possibilities. I didn't know anybody would really want to come. But work with me. So here's some really cool ideas about helping people and usually helping, I would say, you know, poor and lower middle class folks, but folks in tough circumstances, immigrants, things like that. You know, people that hadn't been here very long. Businesses that would focus on them as, as service companies and basically uplift. them. And then a lot of that was financial, financial right. uplift. Financial uplift. Right? Right. Financial uplift of their children and their children's children. Not simple, but very straightforward purpose, very cl- clear, easy to to get a lock on. And uh, folks said, "Well, those you know, those are great ideas, but they sound really <laughs> hard. No one's quite doing that. Those businesses that way." And so I said, "Well, you know, why would, why would we want to start a business that people have already done? <laughs> something different, uh, you know, something interesting and exciting." And they said. Bruce, you don't understand. All we know how to do is consult. So we <laughs> we want you to create a consulting company so that we can come work with you as consultants. And I had, I talk about it like a long pause, but it's really like being in an auto accident or, or you know, are in an accident. And it feels like time stretching out. If you ever been in that situation? And I have.
0: And it was probably a second
2: right, or two, but literally this big pause where it was like, wait a minute. Groups. You were going to go off and do pursue this passionate teaching thing, and go do this, and just have a blast for the next thirty years. But, but you are being called hmm. called to this, you know, called to help these folks because they really need they need another company, they need a place to hmm. so work that's not as tough as this place that we're all currently experiencing. And a lot of that was the times; of very tough times. And so after that. One second pause that felt like you know the life your life passes before your eyes. I said, "Okay, but it has to be interesting and different." And they said, "Yes, yes, yes. Tell, tell, tell us. You know, tell, tell us what you you know what you mean." And I laid out some basic things. Hey, we're going to build around small teams. We're going to be about developing people to their highest potential we are going to have an ESOP, and they're kind of in class to the first two say, what's an ESOP? Because you know, an ESOP, and i explained that. The whole ESOP thing, and et cetera, et cetera. And they're just like, oh, well, no, it sounds great. Right. <laughs> go, yeah, go, go do it. And so, hence, hence, part of hmm. And, of course, the, a, quite a few of the initial employees were in that group, and then other people closely related who they literally wanted some place, a safe harbor, right, a place to, to go and, and, and do something and people didn't necessarily, they weren't embracing that purpose of, of the experiment of doing something radically different in our industry, of focusing on the development of human capability as opposed to the pursuit of ever-larger contracts <laughs> services, which is a wonderful proven business model in our industry and many other I mean, that's, that's today best practice.
1: So Bruce, I love your comfort with um, approaching it as an experiment because so many people are uncomfortable with experiments. And, and then as I understand it, let me ask, is this, you, you started the company w- w- with a lot of desire and ambition. I love the way you phrased it of uh, that you felt being called and you you needed to do something that was interesting and different. But I read that there was this simple question that, w- that was part of the quest. Can a technology consulting firm be successful by focusing first on growing the
2: individual to their fullest potential? Right.
1: That's the way the question began to be framed. Is that?
2: So I think that's the, for me, you know, so, so for me and given my personality and the way I think for for me, that wasn't a question for me. It, it was my hypothesis is Yes. That, this is so, and that it's it is radically different uh, than the traditional view of how things sh- should be done. But it should absolutely work, and this is an experiment to prove it. Now, but for others, not you know, not being in that aggressive mode of wanting to prove my hypothesis, they're like, "Oh, well, that that's the big question." And I'm like, "It's fair. It's fair. It is a question because there probably have been examples in the past." But we don't know. They've lost the in history. Surely someone's tried these things like this uh, before, but they've just never really materialized. You don't care about them. And so this is what we want this to be, or I want this to be, is I want this to be the company that puts this idea on the map, right, that becomes, hey, here, here's where it all started. Uh, and hopefully 200 years from now, people say, oh, you know, back with party of Edistries, yeah, they, they're good. And they did the groundbreaking, but, you know, we are so much better at, at this whole thing about developing people and being about that purpose now than they could ever be. And that's, you know, that's victory when people say, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, they, were the pione- they were the pioneers, but you know, we're so much more sophisticated now, and you, you know, it's unbelievable compared to what they were capable of, we're so much better. So,
0: you know, that would say really took off and it
2: changed the world, so, you know, so that's, that, that little bit and i should probably just stop talking
1: because i think i'm getting off your question <laughs> that's okay bruce uh, uh, but i understand that for you it was not so much a question it was a hypothesis to go prove but others were saying okay uh, let's frame this as a question and, and see what can happen
2: uh, now, they, now, they don't they still we have people who probably it, still don't necessarily believe it uh, on, like well what what more do you want we're in the 99.5 percentile of fashion scoring companies were recognized as one of the most successful consultancies when benchmarked as you know as other firms who have created a tremendous amount of you know investor value, which is our our employees right, our shareholders, mm-hmm. a huge amount uh, of investment value. There's there's hardly a metric that hmm. you can point to that we're not in the best of the best, if not the if not the best, and, but we still doubt, right? It's, we still doubt. We still have self doubt. It's a bit like the pariveda meaning of the pariveda a Pariveda means reaching for you know, reaching for complete knowledge with the understanding that you're never going to have it all, right? And to some extent, that's what you know. That's what we feel, right? So we feel great progress at the same time. We know we can do better, and and we have this we have this knowledge that oh, we're never going to be perfect. And with along with this desire to be perfect and so it's an it's a tension you know it's a right. tension. That people very much feel that yeah
1: i love the tension i love that there that it's always aspirational that there's always more we can do we we can continue this quest now let's go back what when you started and this was 15 years ago now that perivet uh, started in
2: october yeah okay
1: so what were the things you you started doing differently at that time? You know when you started this, okay, if we're really going to operationalize around this, what does that look like? What did it look like, Bruce?
2: So then the key uh, the, the key thing. so given that I mean given that statement of the purpose of the of our organization, given given that, and consulting's well suited, very well suited for that kind of purpose, the kinds of stuff that we do and the kinds of people that like to go into consulting that the main you know one of the main pivots is okay we first of all have got to think about career development uh, you know career development how people develop and how people are evaluated and and so that's a key thing so we created very early on it was probably our first it was really our first large internal deliverable we created what we call the expectations framework cohort mm. and so it's basically its basic principle is this we should with our purpose, our goal should be to develop people, as m- many people as possible, as quickly as possible, to what I like to call the level of an effective executive. And think about, just to make it easy, an effective executive is someone who is generative, capable of, of generating generating business. And I don't mean just selling, but I mean literally generating mm-hmm. business. Generative idea, Mr. and Mrs. or Mrs. Client, if you thought about if you thought about your problem a little differently, can you see that it's an opportunity that might have a hundreds of millions of dollar value stream behind it? And so, if we did this little bit of a pivot in terms of what you're talking about doing, this little start for a relatively modest time and effort, that it could open up all this possibility. So that's the generative,
3: mm-hmm.
2: generative aspect of it, right? And and so, developing people to have those to have that capability, and in my view, is that's hard to do. Uh, some, and so not every. So you know, we, we can say everybody who's at Parivita, we're trying to do that with you, help you do that. Statistically, not everybody's going to be able to, to do that, no matter how hard we work at it or how hard people work at it. It's just we don't have to worry about that becoming a oh you know uh, Parivita is going to be larger than the and the gross domestic product of all the countries in the world combined. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing that people are limited by, is so they think about, well, you know, hey, there's only so much work out there. Now, our industry has to be darn near a trillion dollar a year business. business. That's, that's a lot of business, right? There's a lot, there's a lot of business. But, okay, <laughs> it's just a portion of the, that's just a portion of the, of the world and a trillion sounds like a, a limit. However, if we think about this in the context of problem go back to this idea of the pro- problem and understanding the problem so what most of our happens in our industry is most of the time in our industry our competitors and we, we do this too it 's kind of like you come to me you come to me as a potential buyer and you say i 've got a problem and i 've decided i can 't solve this in house and so I'll, I want you and others because i 'm trying to keep you all honest I want you and others. <laughs> on this work. And so it's a zero-sum game. Uh, You know, there's winners and losers, one winner and a a bunch of losers. Sometimes there's no winner and everybody loses. But, but, you know, be that as may. And so people look at the scarce resource is the demand. And we apply, we allocate efficiently resources as assets, as in people, to match those up and do that kind of thing. And that's how we do. We're an arbitrator, arbitrator. It, and we make money off that, you know, on the march of that. Okay. So that's one view of the world. There's another view that, <laughs> that says, you know what? And I, I can't think of the children that first said this, but that's the known problems. Hmm. And and so <laughs> if, if we do the math, generally speaking, if 20%, 20% of problems are known and 80% aren't known. So if it's a trillion dollar industry based on the 20% of known problems, then that. That says that there's a five trillion dollar industry <laughs> in total. If we would tackle the four trillion of unknowns, and so party V is geared at, you know, let's go after the four trillion. Hmm. You know, let's, let's not waste our time with with the trillion, right? Of <laughs> maybe two hundred billion of that in the space. So literally, let's go after you know the four trillion. Um, and so we could have. You know, if you're capable, if you're capable, we should help you develop to this level. Uh, even though it's, you're going to be an expensive person, you know, they're going to have to pay you a lot of annual rent, right? But your, your lease, your equipment lease right, to keep you here for a year is pretty pretty high. But if you're generating all this value, it's a it's a bargain.
3: Hmm.
2: So that's the that is the economic value proposition, and that's the unlocking of the human capital. That's the that's a big different shift. So going back to the expectations framework thing, it's like it says, hey, you know, you're not competing against Joe or Mary, Sue or Bob Or a position. There's not like, oh, we have an opening in our in our hierarchy uh, that needs to be filled and so we're looking at eligible candidates and we'll, and we'll promote you. The argument is not like that. No, no, no. We say, if you're capable of filling that position in the, in the hierarchy, if you're that capable, we need to promote you. We need to pay you accordingly, and it's on us, hmm. somewhat joint, right? Someone, it's on us together to then go uh, get the value of it because you're more valuable and you can generate more value. That's what we should you know, That's what we should worry about. And so that's fundamentally different, and then that has implications for so, for so many things because when you sit there and say we want as many people then to develop as quickly as possible... It's like there's all sorts of other changes that have to happen throughout the enterprise in order to, in order to maximize that. And there's a lot of tra- trade-offs, right? There's a lot of things, well, if we're going to do that, then a lot of these other things that people worry about and focus on, we're, you know, that's not going to be our number one priority. Cause, cause it, I mean, it, mm-hmm. even if we're not a trade-off, it, at the minimum, it's a polarity to be managed. Right? So even if, it's, even if it's not just a, a zero-sum or thing, it's an and or and or and or, so and, anyway, that kind of that, that's fundamental that, and that fundamentally that is I believe our our innovation at Beta that we offer the, the world is is that bit um, and that could work it works fantastic for professional services organizations because it's such a clear cut connection to value creation for that person, but. It, it, It can work in any in any corporation to to any degree, the same basic model.
1: So now Bruce, when you when you think of developing people, I'm sure there's some people that think of this just in the context of the the job and the task at hand. But that's not how you think of developing people, right? It's horizontal and vertical, it's holistic.
2: Horizontal and vertical, with the emphasis on the vertical, because the horizontal is in 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 the consulting profession and most really professional services. The horizontal is gonna it's just almost like it's gonna happen. And if if people can't uh, do that through the on the job learning experience, which is about seventy percent of all learning anyway, then you know they're probably you're not going to survive it.
1: So, how are you defining horizontal for folks that maybe, what are they talking about horizontal and vertical development? Unpack that for us just for the person that's scratching their head at this moment.
2: Horizontal would be like some uh, skill. So, if we thought about, say, for example, software development, which we do a lot of, a horizontal skill would be something on the order of, well, I learned, I started out, you know, learning a waterfall methods of building software, uh, but now I've learned how to do agile development methods or I started out learning how to do Cobol code development on the mainframe, and now I, I do, you know, C sharp or Java development on, uh, you know, in a mobile in a mobile architecture, and I might use some special toolkit to actually run on the, you know, on the phone, the, the, the front end that's on the phone itself, and so those are all kinds of. In the jargon of, our, of software development, those are those kinds of skills. Uh, versus a vertical skill would be like I've really been working on my listening skills. Mm. I've really been working on, and maybe more broadly, I've been working on my ability to use inquiry mm. as an effective uh, tool for a variety of things: for understanding others, for lead, helping lead other people, you know, to. To an appropriate uh, decision for all that, and in the context of software development, that would be. Well, I've been really working on inquiry, so I could really understand my buyer's perspective mm. and help them understand their user's perspective. And, 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 and you know, it's really more complex than that. And for really, for us to kind of get a hold on what's the whole of all the stakeholders, because the the buyer and the user may not be the actual end consumer. Right, it might be it's Joe, it's you know Mary and Joe uh, Jones out there who are buying some consumer, trying to do something in the consumer space through some kind of mobile app. So their journey, if you talk about this experience economy or the customer journey, it's under it's all understanding that versus hey, back here at the buyer, the buyer, well, you know, really, I think we need to do this differently to mm-hmm. solve the problem, and it's like well, not necessarily, right. And to do that, that's not just inquiry, but there's a there's a lot of other uh, vertical skills that one needs to have to effectively an effective executive to to effectively be able to understand that understand understand that person and help them understand what might really be going on, and then help them change change what they're planning you know what they're planning to do. Or, you know, or not. I mean, I'm saying,
3: well, yeah.
2: I am, you know, I'm the hypothesis person, not the, the, the great question. <laughs>
1: so the approach is both. It's, But it's really focusing, it's assuming the, the horizontal development is happening. So Absolutely. focusing on the vertical development that most other places overlook.
2: Overlook or only designate their high potentials. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we can't waste that kind of money uh, because we're here to make a profit, right? We can't waste that kind of money on all our employees, that's all are just fairly mediocre. And yada 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 yada. We can only do that with our hypos. And PartVita is like, I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> we think about everyone as a hypo. Now, is everybody at PartVita a hypo? No, probably, but probably over eighty percent are, because we spend a lot of you know we spend a lot of time, and the whole system is built for that. Uh, and so we're probably there. But even if we weren't, uh, the idea that someone is not a hypo and so they shouldn't, for example, learn how to listen better is like what a wasted opportunity! What an undeve- underdevelopment of human of human capital. Where 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 in any organization, pick five hundred, Fortune five hundred company, global one thousand. Where in that organization would you say you know what? I could actually use less listening,
1: right?
2: <laughs> just like that would be hard. I, exactly, heart, it's but it would be hard to conceive of even the lowliest role or mm. the highest role, and mm-hmm. one can make a case the highest role. You know, why? Why do they need to listen? Saying, well, take a, take a take a traditional leadership class, right? You'll, you'll hear that. That's why that's in hypo. That's why that's in hypo training. Um, but anyway, that, so that's. That's an example. Now, does everyone need to know how to code COBOL or know how to know Java? No, right. Just need a few people, relatively mm. everybody. Everybody could be better at listening. My family members would tell me, hey, you know, Dad, you could know, <laughs> you, you be a better listener. And and I work pretty hard at it, right? But I'm not I'm not good enough, you know, I'm not perfect. Right. Yeah.
1: We all have room to improve in listening. All
2: of us. Uh,
1: So, Bruce, we've got something we want to share with our audience. Then we're going to come back and I want to ask you to explore how altruism and servant leadership make your list of core values. We'll be right back.
0: Do you ever think that your work could be a little less ordinary? There's not much in between you and something extraordinary. Just 13 weeks and a bold experiment. Find out more at kevindemonroe.com slash extraordinary to get ready to take your team, your leadership, or your customers to the next level. That's com slash extraordinary.
1: Welcome back. As promised, I'm sitting here talking with Bruce Baligny of Periveda. And Bruce, when I was preparing for this, went to your website and was looking. Now, altruism wasn't actually listed as a value but there was a call out to altruism under a value and servant leadership. So, so how do those show up and, and how do they improve the culture at Perivada
2: Veda? So let me, let me start at, at kind of the end from the improve, improve the culture thing with while we are, while we are different, we leverage in many ways the great things about almost every business. And one of the things that, we find when you, I think it, it's a fairly recent HBR article was posted. Like, what are the values that most companies put first, and what value do they put most second? And the answer universally isn't, and it's, I think largely the United States, but it would carry across the world. The answer was the number one, the most frequently occurring number one is caring about people and your customers, and the number two, if that wasn't it, is caring about your your people and customers. Say, so I would say empirically, hey, there must be something going on here that's really, really important. It, okay, so that's great. That's the analytical aspect of it. But why? You know, what's the deeper thing? What's the deeper thing going on here uh, about that? And, and I think about it in the individual way and in a collective way. So, in the individual way, if we use a framework like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which says, hey, once I'm once I feel like I belong. For me to advance to the next stage of my personal development, I've really got to get strong self-esteem. And when I have that strong self-esteem, then, then and only then, am I going to be able to self-actualize? And then maybe if I'm blessed, lucky, however you want to think about it, maybe eventually someday self-transcend. And for people... People want to self-actualize, and they need to self-actualize. So what is a key in ingredient of that? A key in ingredient of that, a big shift in the self-actualization stage is this realization that, hey, I self-actualize. An element of my self-actualization comes from the interdependence with others, hmm. not just independent or disconnected action. It's, it's literally from inter, interdependence. And, of course, it's the self-transcendence Level of some kind of you know unity global kind of unity type thing that kicks in now all those other things are true and and so it's important for the individual to do that and and someone say well okay so that's for people they're trying to self actualize well what about you know these earlier stages where more people are and I, I would say again I'd say well if we're trying to help someone build self esteem it's a really powerful thing for them to get into the practice of giving giving doing something they're passionate about themselves, right? So I like to talk about plants. I spend a lot of time talking about trees and shrubs and flowers, and native plants in, in Texas for with Texans. I right? try to get a plant in regards. I'm very passionate about it. I I get a lot of self-esteem out of that. So that it reinforces my self-actualization. Hey, let's take it back another step. When I join a group that cares about something passionate that's about giving, I get another. Component, another link to belonging. Hmm. So there, there I am helping. You know, I'm helping myself at this at the belonging level. There's right. a lot of to do that, but this is, you know, this is helpful, uh, and so on and so forth. I can make an argument, and take you all the way down to physiological, but it really starts to kick in mostly at this belonging thing, which is a key challenge that companies have. So now I'm going to get to the collaborative right? A key challenge that companies have is for their employees, their people, and their customers, for that matter, to feel engaged, to feel like they belong in that company. And, of course, that relates to purpose. Uh, but, you know, in addition to that, it's like, what are they doing and how? so how do you help people belong? You help people belong by doing, uh, by doing good things. It's just a wonderful way of doing it. Now, what else happens? So that's that's all internal, and so I say, well, you know, I don't know if I want to make that kind of investment. I can in turnover, my industry, whatever thirty percent turnover, and I'm twenty nine. So you know, what's the big deal? We'll, we'll, we're all geared for that, uh, but it's kind of like, well, have you thought? Have you thought about the karmic or just the wondrous things that happen on the customer side,
3: mm. in
2: when you practice these kinds of things? So there's. There's a couple of levels to to talk about. There's there's one, which is the idea about if you demonstrate giving, if you practice giving with you know common sense and you know not just giving away work to customers, but if you are giving in your relationship with a customer or prospect, you are more likely to become engaged with that that customer. In a more longer term, more profitable relationship, because if because ultimately it's a co created experience, and so if, if you could actually get them to collaborate with you, it's going to be very powerful. It's going to be great for everybody, and so and someone really needs to create that safe space. Someone needs to come from vulnerability in order to do that, and so the acts of giving are a wonderful way of, sh- of demonstrating, hey. Hey, we're safe. This is a safe relationship. Oh, by the way, Maslow is second. Moment before you can belong, it has to be safe, right? So it helps with that. There's also the whole thing about there are so many good people out there in businesses that are trying to do good. Mostly, they're about profit, and they're trying to manage this polarity of doing good and making money. And it is a polarity, but most of most People break that down. Oh, that's our problem, right? This is an or thing, there's not an and thing here. And then when they encounter, and they encounter other organizations that are doing good, they tend to say, Hey, I think we should do business with that other organization. I see them doing good hmm. in the not-for-profit cause that you know we're a part of or I'm a, a part of. That's a good indicator. Hey, they share our value of caring, which is either the number one or the number two value of companies, independent of how much they feel driven by profitability. So, so that's the individual and the collective about. It's almost it's it's like a no brainer. (laughs) You know, hey, this is this is the right path. Is it the quick? Is it a quick path? Not necessarily. Right. Is it a sustainable path that can endure through thick and thin? And the answer is yes, but you have to be patient about it. You just have to, just have to practice some patience. Which, by the way, is another vertical. <laughs> That's another vertical. <laughs> just just saying.
1: <laughs> okay, so. Let's talk about servant leadership a moment. Was that part of the culture from the beginning?
2: And, yeah, it, it was one of the, the very, so I said the expectations, or that was an early deliverable. The very first deliverable before we even started the company was what are going to be our core values? And literally we had a, I, I it may have been a two page website, but I think it was for sure there was one. And that was it, right? we had our core values out there when, when we first got started and say, these are our core values and, and, you know, various people contributed various things but for me the key one was our I thought it was very important that we have servant leadership as a as a core value hmm. for all the, you know for the reasons that we've said of, above and in the context of business and just in the consider uh, consideration of you know moral goodness How, how are you going to think about it as just boy, this is just a really it's just a really good thing. Even if we had a different, even if we had a different mission and purpose, we should we should still seriously be thinking about having it leadership as a as a core value. Even if all we cared about was profit, it's it's still fantastic. Right? So that's kind of so we've kind of had that. Uh, and the part of the feedback loop is so we've we've always had expectations of everybody that they do some level of community service as part of their performance review. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't strictly enforce it, but just to give you an example, so for someone starting right out of school or entry-level position, at those levels we say, hey, we'd like to see you do, well, really about eight hours uh, uh, every six months, so 16 hours a year. So what does that kind of set up? That sets up, hey, join an organization. They'll probably have 12-monthly meetings. Hopefully you can make about eight, eight hours okay, there. And then, hey, that's eight other hours. Do you know, participate in some event. That they may have on a weekend or some weeknight, they should do something. So there it is, 16 hours for someone at the the vice president levels uh, or you know senior say vice president and above, like me. My expectation, I'm expected to do 100 hours of Mm community service, and um, I'll tell you, I mean that is that's easy.
3: (laughs) That does that that doesn't
2: it doesn't take much to do 100. And we have many of our executives who are in similar situations. or you know, board members of not-for-profits right. or all sorts of things like that that do tend to start to occupy a fair amount of time. And, of course, you just think about uh, parents and PTAs <laughs> and vacation Bible schools, and, I mean, it just starts adding, adding up. For that matter, I think about singing in a choir in a religious institution is community service. So, so there's so many ways... <laughs> that people do that. And we just build it in. Hey, we expect out of your 2080 hours a year that you're doing at least a little bit. of community. Hmm.
1: So Bruce, in in this 15 year journey, was there ever a moment that you wondered if, if committing to the development of people was the right thing to do?
2: Good question. So I think from the right thing to do in a sense about moral, right principles, right? Never. Hey, does it make business? Yeah. You're, even, even today, there's a, there's a fair amount of pressure. There's a, any number of people who would say, well, we spend, we spend too much, you know, people relative to our co- co- uh, competitors. Um, and so that comes into question and into all sorts of things. So, hey, we don't have certain opportunities. There are certain things we don't do or we do not pursue because we have that uh, purpose. So we could grow faster and we could make more money. Mm-hmm. For example, if we didn't do that, there's also, as, as I like to say, well, you know, it's also while it's very true that we've been extraordinarily s- successful statistically, it is certainly and there's empirical evidence that suggests yes, we could have grown even faster and be more profitable by not doing it. But let me also let like, just share with you that it's also equally possible that we might have grown a lot less faster or paid a lot less money by not doing what we're doing. If we are thinking about it from a sustainable perspective, which to me is, which to me is very important personally, um, when I talk about you know the generations mm-hmm. of difficulty that my my family experienced, and just thinking about the, the the way the world works. Right, we're in good times now, and it's not always going to be this good. So, and those are the weeding out times. The bad times are weeding out times, like what we went through in our industry in two thousand one, two thousand three. Massive beating out with with what's called the tech you know the tech wreck and, and that kind of recession and so how do we prepare to do that and the key is we need to think about sustainability and so things that are generally about sustainability are generally good and of course the, you know, there's the devil's in the details and all that but that's just the right you know another mm-hmm. another angle on right on rightness of correct, of correctness. And I think that's becoming more popular. There's a lot of businesses that are now saying, you know, it is important to have purpose. It is important to, to think more socially responsibly. And, of course, some of it is, is, is so, oh, just the millennials. They're going to take over, you know, all these jobs. It's really important to them. And, and, and I think about, well, you know, back when I was a, a millennial, which is when I was a boomer, <laughs> I was like, I remember... A lot of boomers, young boomers, carried. There was a war in Vietnam. There there were a lot of protests. People died over those protests. It got out of hand. We had riots, we had bombings, the Mm whole civil rights movement, and a lot of of young people of multiple races sacrificed their lives in that. I mean, we were there too when we were young. I think there's something going on here. Mm. Uh, you. <laughs> and hey, wouldn't it have been awesome if our, our silent generation parents had picked up on this <laughs> for us <laughs> as boomers and it it would have been a wonderful thing, right? I mean we, we cared about purpose. We yep. as much. And and I and I don't mean to slight the Gen Xers <laughs> that are sandwiched in between. I just think you know, and as time advances and as we improve as a civilization and the United States becomes a, a kinder general place to live in, generally speaking, over the generations, it becomes more and more, it becomes more and more important, which is good, which is good. Right. So anyway, that yeah, that's kind of my view of that.
1: Well, Bruce, time's getting away from us. I want to ask, is there something you'd like to share or say before we conclude that makes this conversation whole for you?
2: That's yeah, a, a great question. <laughs> that was on like your list ahead of time and said, "Boy, if there's ever a stumper, man. <laughs> that, that would be that would be it." Um,
1: well, I, I didn't mean it to be a stumper. I'm just, I just,
2: I wanted, you know, if there's a way for you to close it out, and I see there is. So there's a, so there's, a there's a way, kind of dig into it from a kind of analytical perspective to come back to this idea about testing the hypothesis. So, if, if you think back to largely what we do at Party largely we hire folks out of college with the goal of developing them to executives. Now, okay, that's, that's great because you can't, you know, I, and you could, we could have started a business just by hiring people out of college and then just waiting until they became executives. But, in <laughs> fact, you know, that, that's not impossible. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't recommend it. Right in consulting or any business, but certainly not in ours. And so we, we've hired folks at various levels of their experience and their career their progression to come, come to Beta. And we will be 15 years this year. And so, and so what is the proof that we're actually capable, that we have an engine that can actually produce said effective executives? And that to me, it would be, hey, the hiring of folks at various levels and getting them promoted to that effective executive level. And so here's here's how it goes. Uh, for quite a few years, maybe even seven years ago, um, we had our first managers, people that we had hired as managers. So that's of four or five years of experience. Maybe, maybe it could be more, seven or nine, but four or five years of experience at a minimum that we hired as entry-level managers, and they became effective executives. Right. And we've hired. We started hiring college students in um, oh, oh uh, well, really, oh six. In oh, 06, you know, we started in oh, 03. So it took, it, took, it took a little while to get the nests built mm-hmm. so that they'd take place you know, for for kids coming right out of school to, to come work in the cruel the cruel world that's called consulting, and uh, and so we had had. College students make it all the way to, we call them principals, but say director level. So junior executives below that, vice president affected. Mm-hmm. But a big accomplishment this year is we had our very first out of a class of six college hires, three of whom still with us. We had our first one make vice president. So we have our first end-to-end hmm. promoted person They got promoted close to every year. Yeah, you know, so they've been here, I'd uh, say twelve years, maybe thirteen, and they got promoted pretty much every year. To in, in order to do that, and we've they've got some classmates who are probably you know within the next 12 months are, are going to make it hmm. well. And so that's a huge it's a it's a huge thing. It's anecdotal. It's just a case of one, but it, it's it's like the final. We finally have the end to end proof. Yeah, possible, and it's pretty exciting that we have. Uh, a fairly high degree of retention over that you know over that long long period of time, right? And uh, your
1: retention has been what? Just
2: well, generally, generally speaking, it's in the mid-teens. Uh, okay. I, I think right now we're running between twelve and thirteen percent, which is pretty uh, pretty typical. And mm-hmm. our what's considered
3: really good in
2: our industry is twenty percent. Okay, we're about two-thirds. Uh, you know, two-thirds of the turnover of most companies and in my my view is it's one of the things that if we could improve that it would really help us a lot mm-hmm. given our focus on developing you know developing people but it would be very hard to get below say 10 percent right it would be very hard but there's that there's this interesting gap. Uh, that there's is a, is a huge amount of value that we could generate there
1: so bruce I want to thank you for joining us. For people that want to learn more about Parivada, where do they go?
2: Easiest place is to get, just go to our website, parivetasolutions.com. The other thing one could do is we are you, can, you go look on Glassdoor. I mean, if, that's a great place to get. Hey, you know, it's, we're representing Parivada on the website, but if you want to see what our former, right. current, and former employees think, go look at go look at, at a Glassdoor. We do not manage that. You know, right. uh, but we are one of their best places to to work, and so to me, it's a good tell. It's a good the two together make a good
1: yeah, a good paper. composite picture there.
2: So, yeah.
1: all right, Bruce, thank you so much. No, thank you. Hey, Bruce, thanks for joining us for such a rich and deep conversation. Hey, let me wrap this up before we leave. Uh, A few takeaways for me. First off, I want to go back to the introduction and say I love the way Bruce is in touch with the various facets of his purpose, that for him, purpose is multidimensional. I believe it is for you and for all of us. So how in touch with you are the various facets of your purpose? And then I really enjoyed how Bruce articulated doing good and making money as a polarity to be managed, not a problem to be solved. That's deep. And then another one that that Bruce just said this kind of in passing, that the reason to work is to serve a great purpose. You know, that really summarizes the folks that we've had as part of this series talking about being in business on purpose. And of course, you're not surprised to hear that I'm delighted at Bruce's affinity for embracing the founding of Paravata Solutions as a grand experiment. For those of you that know, we're currently immersed in what we're calling the extraordinary experiment. So I love this approach, just believing that extraordinary things can happen through the result of intentionality and experimentation. Well, next week launches a new set of conversations. We begin with a conversation with Bo Burlingham. You may know him from best-selling books like Finish Big or Small Giants, or maybe from Inc. Magazine, where he was at for a number of years. After that, I talked to Alexander McCobbin, the CEO of Conscious Capitalism, and then we've got Brian Robertson in the lineup of Holacracy One, exploring this whole idea of Holacracy, and we've got several other really good things in store for you in the weeks ahead. Until we're connecting again, remember, live, love, and lead with purpose.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Remember, if you ever think that your work could be less ordinary, there's not much between you and something extraordinary. Just 13 weeks and a bold experiment. Find out more at 13weekstoextraordinary.com.